0: Encountering the Texture of the Text of God's Word, Text and Context. Hello, Mom. Okay, Uh, good morning. Uh, Lynn, I gotta say, it's been a long time since I have felt that touched and stirred by prayer and public worship. that was, that was just beautiful and heartfelt and profound. Thank you. That was uh, truly a blessing to receive. Uh, just thank you. That was beautiful. Um, we are in the book of Leviticus, uh, everybody's favorite book of Scripture, the book of Leviticus. And I hope that you have been touched and impacted by the study of Leviticus. I hope it is brought to the surface that there is so much more hiding in Scripture than, than um our tired imaginations are often able to find that, that God is speaking on every page of scripture, especially those places that often where the pages stick together a little bit. Uh, I also hope that you're living an enchanted world. I hope you're living in a world where God is still very much alive and active and involved in it. I hope that you are living and moving and having your being in God because you can. And I know this world feels so disenchanted, but the whole point of this series is to wake us up to what God is doing in this world all around us at all times and in all things because he is right there and I want to share with you just a little bit about um, our friend Scott Um, and Hillary he went on a mission trip with you what's his last name Scott Scotty he has hearing aids um, goes to hog what is his last name do you know
1: yeah, but not Okay.
0: <laughs> Scott, whose last name is unknown at the moment because I can't remember it for the life of me. And if I had thought of it any moment other than now, I probably could have remembered it. But Scott, he goes to Hog. Uh, Billy was, uh, Pastor Billy from Airs of Grace was in Honduras a couple weeks ago in January, and I preached at Hog. And he was there, Scotty was there with his wife. And he said, after hearing the sermon, they said, you know what? Because I talked about Leviticus, just like I'm doing here, because I'm crazy. And he said, after hearing that, they, were, they said, you know, every morning and every night together as a married couple, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. And yesterday at the men's breakfast, he said, I got something to tell you and it's your fault. I said, oh, great. OK. <laughs> I mean, as a preacher, you just never know what's going to come out of somebody's mouth after something like that, you know. But he said, no. Um, and he, he shared with me that every morning, every night they say the Lord's Prayer. In the morning, they'll say the Lord's Prayer and then they will uh, stamp the sign of the cross slowly and thoughtfully and then each uh evening they they say the lord's prayer together and then they will say their voice their own individual prayers and he also said he's been reading proverbs you know one chapter of proverbs every day 31 chapters in proverbs 31 ish days in a month and said he's been doing that and he said it's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's working and i just hopped up and hugged him and i said i've never been so happy to be guilty this is great i love this and uh, I said, can I share that tomorrow at church? He said, yes, please put names to it. We don't care. That's great. We're happy about it. Um, but uh, it, whatever your stories are of living in an enchanted world, um, whether it has anything to do with my brilliant suggestions or not, uh, please share that with me. I, I want to know about that. And, it, and you can tell me not to share it, and I, and I won't. But I just I want to know, are you inhabiting an enchanted world? What, what ways are you finding God, and in what ways are you waking up to a little bit of uh, holy mischief? Some sanctified shenanigans in your life. I'd love to hear about that. Um, There's a documentary that I found in college, and I've been watching it several times over the years. Uh, I keep coming back to it. Hannah and I both really like it. It's called Minimalism, a documentary about the important things. Have you seen about this or maybe even seen the film? Uh, It was on Netflix for the longest time. They took it off. They now have a newer one on there, it's okay. I don't like it as much as the first one, but uh, you can still find the, second, the first one out there uh, on the interwebs and rent it, and often you can find it for free somewhere. But uh, I really, really like this movie. Are you familiar with minimalism? Like, have you heard of this philosophy? It's like a big thing right now, right? And it's more than just a decoration style. It's like a, you know, a lifestyle about living with less, consuming less, and also just being um, content with what you have. And part of the reason I was enchanted by minimalism, the philosophy and the documentary is because I hear that and I'm like, that's a very Christian kind of idea. At least it can be like we can appropriate that. We can use that. That's that's good. Like even secular culture is waking up to the idea that like, hey, maybe this overconsumption is a bad idea. And we can capitalize on that. Uh, Christianity has had a long tradition of spirituality that emphasizes the same kinds of things that minimalism tends to. We just call it something different. Historically, we've called it simplicity. The discipline of simplicity. Living a simple life. And simple um, doesn't always mean now what it once used to. Simple used to mean just plain. Now it sometimes means stupid, like you're simple. Simple. It uh, can be, depending on how you use it. But minimalism, uh, it's, it's a good idea that I think we have a lot in common with. Um, there's actually a small clip that I have uh, that I want to play for you. And it's a reading from the book, uh, one of their minimalism books. I don't remember which one. And it's in this movie, but I love it. Um, and there's one line in particular that I want to dwell on, but I'm going I'm to let you listen to it. Uh, he does say a bad word at one point, but I think it'll be fine. We're all mature. We can handle this. Because uh, it's in context. But um, it's, it's him talking about how he goes for a shopping spree right after his divorce. And right after his divorce, he's like, somehow there's still time for shopping. Um, and so I, but I want you to listen to this because it, it always really impacts me. So go to, or wait. Too far. I know it's in there. Maybe go backwards. Oh. Maybe it's not in there. I don't know. Try several in advance, and let's just see what happens. Maybe it's in there somewhere. Apparently,
2: I need a bunch of
0: point slides. Oh, that's wonderful. (laughs) Technical difficulties. I'll just tell you about it. My description is probably far more wonderful, anyway. Um, In this clip, he's talking about he just got a divorce. Okay, and he says, "While Rome is burning, there's still somehow time for shopping." And he says, as he totes his boxes of belongings out of his house, as he just got divorced, he's, I guess, getting kicked out. And he has all these boxes of stuff that he's taking to his new place. He then says, well, I still got to go get the essentials. And so he goes on a shopping spree to Ikea. And he says, you know, just the basics, a table, a chair, a couch, a love seat, some plates and bowls. And then he says, and of course, I want to have the right style because, you know, I got to find my style that edgy but professional vibe and so which espresso maker defines me as a man which which one of these really says who i am and catches my vibe and then i'll also need a rug and then another one of those really thin but long rugs that goes in the hallway what's that thing called a runner yeah i need one of those and then uh, i'll also need more silverware because i just don't really like the ones that i have And, and you hear it don't you um it's that it starts with let's just get the bare essentials Many of the things he got in the first place, I wouldn't have personally considered essentials to begin with. But then he starts asking even more questions like, well, i got to get the right style too, right? And so it's not simply just a functional couch. It's the couch that fits my edgy but professional vibe. And then the question that always gets me and and that line that I think is so brilliant, which espresso maker defines me as a man (laughs) is what he says. And I think that is hilarious because – I can joke about that and be like, oh, that's ridiculous, asking silly questions like that. But then also in my more honest and raw moments, I've asked some really silly questions like that before making purchases. Which one of these defines me as a man? And then he even says, does asking such a question prohibit me from being a, quote, man's man? The answer to that is no. Ask Max Proctor. He says, no, you can still have an espresso maker and be a man's man. But... It's those questions about who I am, and they reflect my purchases. Isn't it interesting that we make those connections now? That what I purchase is somehow deeply connected to who I am. The chapter in Leviticus that we come to today is chapter 19. It's kind of a long chapter. It's got, let's see, 37 verses, and I'm going to read the whole thing here in a moment, but I've got to prep you for it before I read it, because... One of the most frustrating things about reading biblical law, and Leviticus in particular, is actually one of its most brilliant features, and it's this. Rather than just giving us these abstract principles, the vast majority of the time what biblical law does is just string together a bunch of examples in concrete life. Rather than saying, honor me in all you do, it says, well, be sure to be careful about what kind of clothing you wear and then also, you know, don't eat meat with the blood in it. Oh, and also uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, and by the way, if there's an alien among you, be sure to take care of them too. Oh, and be careful about how you plant your fields. You don't want to plant too many kinds of seed in the same field. And do you hear the difference? What it's doing is it's actually painting a visual image in your mind. He, Moses is receiving this law from the Lord and the Lord doesn't want you to overly, um, to make this too abstract Be good and not bad. No, he's not going for abstractions. He's going for concrete examples. And part of the problem is those concrete examples are so concrete that often we read them and we're just left saying, A, what's the connection between all these things? They seem like they don't relate to each other at all. And B, um, they're so specific. I don't really know that I was deeply worrying about boiling a baby goat in its mother's milk this morning. And so I don't really know what to do with that law. But apparently in Israel, it made good sense and it was a good concrete example. And so as I read Leviticus 19, listen closely to the things that have been placed side by side, one right after the other. Things that you and I wouldn't think go together. Things that you and I would think are worlds apart in our discussion of life and morality and God. But apparently for the priestly writer, apparently for the book of Leviticus, these things go one right after the other without any seeming transition needed. So, here we go. You ready? Listen closely, and then tell me what you think. Leviticus 19, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall each revere your father and mother, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord, your God. Do not turn to idols or make cast images for yourself. I am the Lord, your God. Now let me pause there for just one moment and point out something else. Almost never does God offer justification for why he tells you to do something. The Sabbath gets an explanation, actually, in the Ten Commandments. But most of the time, the only explanation, if any, that's given is this. I am the Lord. And you're like, I I got that. And then he says, Honor your father and mother, I am the Lord. You're like, Okay. Keep my Sabbaths, I am the Lord. That's the only justification he gives. Interesting. All right. Verse 5. When you offer a sacrifice of well being to the Lord, offer it in such a way that it is acceptable in your behalf. It shall be eaten on the same day you offer it, or the next day, and anything left over until the third day shall be consumed in fire. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is an abomination, it will not be acceptable. All who eat it shall be subject to punishment, because they have profaned what is holy to the Lord, and any such person shall be cut off from the people. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, and you shall not lie to one another, And you shall not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God, I am the Lord. You shall not defraud your neighbor, you shall not steal, and you shall not keep for yourself the wages of a laborer until morning. You shall not revile the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear your God, I am the Lord. You shall not render an unjust judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. With justice you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not profit by the blood of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate in your heart any one of your kin. You shall reprove your neighbor or you will incur guilt yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your animals breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor shall you put on a garment made of two different materials. If a man has sexual relations with a woman who is a slave, designated for another man, but not ransomed or given her freedom, an inquiry shall be held. They shall not be put to death since she has not been freed. But he shall bring a guilt offering for himself to the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, a ram as guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him. With the ram of guilt offering before the Lord for his sin has been committed and the sin that he committed shall be forgiven him. When you come into the land and plant all kinds of trees for food, then you shall regard their fruit as forbidden. Three years it shall be forbidden to you. It must not be eaten. In your fourth year, all their fruit is to be set apart for rejoicing in the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat of the fruit that their vineyard may be increased for you. I am the Lord your God. You shall not eat anything with its blood. You shall not practice augury or witchcraft. You shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. You shall not make any gashes in your flesh for the dead or tattoo any markings upon you. I am the Lord. Do not profane your daughter by making her a prostitute, that the land not become prostituted and full of depravity. You shall keep my Sabbaths and revere my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or wizards. Do not seek them out to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. You shall rise before the aged and defer to the old, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. When an alien resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress the alien. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you are aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall not cheat in measuring length, weight, or quantity. You shall have honest balances, honest weights, an honest ephah, and an honest hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall keep all my statutes and all my ordinances and observe them. I am the Lord. Whew! That doesn't get your blood pumping. I don't know what does. (sighs) What did you notice there? I'm genuinely curious. What stood out to you? Anybody want to offer something just briefly? There were some Ten Commandments in there. Yeah, that's a good observation. Many of the Ten Commandments are in there. Some people find all ten in there. I don't think all ten are in there necessarily, at least not explicitly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anybody else? What would you notice? What stuck out? Was there a phrase that was repeated over and over for anybody? Oh, yeah, good. You caught that, yeah. I am the Lord, the only justification given. Did it strike anybody else as odd, some of the things that were paired one right after the other? Yeah. Did you catch that? So it's like, do not practice witchcraft. Do not shave your temples or your beard. <laughs> the word of the Lord. And you're like, what's, what's the connection there? Or it's like, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we're like, yeah, you know, New Testament people. Yeah, yeah, we love it. And then it's like, you shall not let your animals breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor put on a garment made of two different kinds of material. And you're like, oh, uh, okay, great. I won't I won't do that. Okay. Like it's strange, isn't it? It sounds strange for me anyway, and maybe for you that those two things are put right one next to the other. Some of these things, uh, the language is a little weird. Um, or even did you notice uh, you shall not defraud your neighbor. You shall pay them the wages they're due and pay them time in a timely fashion. And then immediately after that, uh, be careful that you're kind to the deaf and the blind. Don't make it any harder for them than it has to be. Put it's interesting. Block in Don't put a stumbling block in front of them. That's for people like you, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> people like you who are ornery like me. Yeah. And then the thing about whenever you get to the land of promise, just leave it for three years. Just let it. Just let it grow. Let it do its thing. Yeah, strange. I like t-shirts that are made of cotton and polyester. So I guess I'm going to have to rethink my life there. No tattoos, either. no tattoos either. Yeah. Well, I agree. Preachers shouldn't have tattoos. I agree. Yes, <laughs> quite, quite so. I concur. Pay no attention to the man standing behind the pulpit. I'll just preach like this now. Yeah. Well, the, the tattoos thing also, let's go there. Uh, you shall not make gashes in your flesh for the dead or tattoo marks upon you seems that it has to do with idol worship. And also what they think of as tattoos is not what we think of as tattoos. Uh, there's that too.
1: What's
0: the gash then? What does that do with idols? Yeah. You remember, do you remember the Mount of Carmel? Whenever Elijah is having the showdown with the prophets of uh, Baal. And they can't get his attention. So what do they do? One of the things they start doing eventually is they start cutting themselves. It's the idea that's like. Maybe you'll pay attention to blood because blood is serious. You know, it's it's like that kind of thing. Um, also, apparently, it can be associated with the demonic too. Because if you remember in Mark chapter 5, the garrison demoniac keeps cutting himself with rocks. And it's perhaps like a – that might be idol worship and that might just be self-harm that's imposed by the, the demons. I don't know. But it's interesting. Yeah. Either way, it's also a sanctity of life, too, right? Like God's like, no, like you, you sanctify your life. You're you're beautiful as I've made you. Well, also Don't harm yourself. Near the
2: end, he started saying, "I'm the one who," I paraphrase, "but I'm the
1: one who rescued rescued you out of sin. Yes. So
0: yes. That not only am on the Lord, but I'm also the one that rescued. You. Yes, and specifically that goes with the stuff about taking care of the foreigners. You were foreigners, and I rescued you. Now take care of the foreigners among you. Whenever somebody among you comes and they're not Israelite. Treat them like they are, Israelite. Treat them well, yeah. And uh, one of the, my favorite things here is where he says, whenever you're, you're harvesting in your fields, leave the edges. Do you notice that? Leave the edges. That way Ruth and Naomi have something to eat when they don't have enough money to buy grain. That's where that story gets real. But also how many other unnamed people who needed that? God's like very concerned with taking care of the, the poor and, and those who are um, destitute. And I like that it's, they get to go get their own grain from the edge of the field. It gives them some humanity too, like that they get to do some of the own work to bring their food, like that set up. Do you see the difference? It's not just like a, go take it to them. I'm not diminishing that, but it's, it's like restore some of their humanity. I like that imagination to it. Um, this chapter might just be the center of Leviticus. This might be the, like, if you count the words and, and count the way it's structured, maybe this is the center of it. Which would be good for us because love your neighbor as yourself. And we're like, yeah, you know, that's, that's a great one. But it's also kind of odd for us because there's all that other stuff in there. All the stuff about trimming your beard and how you take care of the garden and, you know, don't leave too many grapes on the vine, but don't leave too few on the vine. It's interesting. What do all these things really at rock bottom at the end of the day have to do with each other? What do all these things really have to do with each other? The answer is actually in plain sight in the chapter. It's repeated over and over and over again. I am the Lord. Which means if God made, you know, like, like everything, which he did, then that means everything is connected to everything else. You are never autonomous in anything you do. And isn't it interesting how one small part of your life affects all others and is affected by all others? Do you know what I'm saying? It's similar to how once you you find that one area of your life that you've been struggling with and you start to get that one kind of taken care of. Isn't it interesting how you find yourself going, I didn't even realize that this related to that. I didn't even realize that once I, I became a healthier and more emotionally centered person that it affected my fill in the blank. I didn't even realize that whenever I started dieting and exercise that it affected fill in the blank. I didn't even realize that whenever I got my finances in order, it affected fill in the blank. Isn't that interesting? Those ways that everything is connected. Biblically speaking, if God is the creator, then all of these things go hand in hand. Loving our neighbor as ourselves is connected to what we wear, what we eat, what we do with our animals. In the reading that Lynn had this morning, um, that that was actually multiple verses from across scripture. You might've figured that out. Um, and one of them is from Proverbs. The righteous man cares for his animals. And then it also, uh, part of it, the first verse was at the end of Leviticus, there's this section basically where God says, if you do this, I will bless you. And if you don't, I will curse you. And in the blessing section in chapter 26 of Leviticus, he says, if you do this, I will bless you. I will bless you. And I will bless the land. Isn't that Interesting. There is very much a sense in which creation is alive. Not alive in like the same way we are, not rational human beings with souls, but creation is alive. Trees are alive. Plants are alive. It's all connected. And God cares for all of the life. And so if we're to be blessed, it is to be blessed and vice versa. Isn't it interesting how um, whenever you are good to the people and places and things around you, It affects your quality of life. Um, To be good to your animals. There's something about taking care of the animals that are around us. And there's something about animal cruelty that also pollutes the land. Over and over again, part of the imagery in Leviticus also is that creation can be polluted by our moral failures. So apparently at the fall, more than just moral failure was involved, now nature is affected. And so there's actually a section in Leviticus 18 where it says, it's talking about sexual practices And it says if you do these abhorrent sexual practices, the land is gonna get sick and vomit you out. What? Canaan will vomit them out because it's polluted. Isn't that interesting? And that's not the kind of pollution that we think of, like from you know emissions and, and gases and things. But apparently there's also another kind of pollution to our environments that we can't see with the eye, but that affect it every bit as much, apparently. It's all connected. Um, You know, there are feminists who have long said that the way we treat the land and animals is directly related to the way we treat women. And places where women are poorly treated are often places where the land and the animals are also poorly treated. And places where women are highly regarded is also places where the animals and the land are well taken care of. It's interesting. You can mull on it. I'm not sure I buy it completely, but it's an interesting correlation at the very least. And doesn't our Lord say that whatever you've done to one of the least of these you've done to me? Now, I do think that's mystical, right? Like the sense that Jesus is in some sense, God is in some sense in each of these, and each of these are his child. I do think that. But I also wonder if he's also just pointing out something that's fundamentally true about life, about the universe that he's created. That is the way you treat the least of these affects everything because everything's connected. All things go hand in hand. Um, In one sense, we live in a world that is extremely materialistic, right? We hear that a lot struggle with materialism. We're extremely materialistic. I get that. In the everyday sense of the word, we are extremely materialistic. But in a deeper sense of the word, I don't think we're at all materialistic. Because what would be an example of materialism? Something that we, we buy a bunch of cheap and cruddy items that we use once and throw away, or a place where we have good things that we value, that we keep and use well that to me would be a deeper materialism where we care about the things that we purchase, where we care about the things that we have and don't have and the things that we use and how we use them instead of this flippant culture where it's like we buy them and then toss them and then buy them and then toss them. Isn't it interesting? We don't think to buy one really, really good sweater. We buy 20 cruddy ones and then throw them away next year. To me, that's not materialism. That's immaterialism. We just don't care about the materials. It's like, ah, whatever. But if we were really materialistic, wouldn't we say, no, like I want to find something good, a quality item, and keep it? Does that make sense? To focus on the materials of the things, that's actually materialistic. To care about how it's made and that it's made well and that it's used well. I think we need a wholesome materiality. That is, we remember that all things are connected to everything else that the way we treat the small things are related to how we treat the big things and vice versa, that the way that we purchase things in our culture affect people globally. And I'm not even trying to like open the can of worms about like the issues behind like slaves and sweatshops making clothes, right? Because then you have the question of, well, if you only buy secondhand, then have you deprived them? If they only get a dollar a day working in the sweatshops, now have I deprived them of the $1 they would have gotten as opposed to nothing? You know, it's like, like, I get the moral issues involved, But it is interesting that the way we purchase things does affect the globe. The things we eat affects the globe. All of it does. Because it's all connected, isn't it? And the least we can do is think about it and live intentionally into that reality some. And also to make everybody uncomfortable and also just to be really blunt about this one because it is a problem statistically that touches people of all age groups, up, down, men and women. Um, If you want to end modern day slavery even more than focusing on the clothes that you wear… And more than posting hashtag end it on Instagram, um, stop watching porn. It's one of the best ways to end slavery these days. Because uh, most of those people are underage and trafficked. And it's a huge industry. And it's free and easily available. And that's one of the greatest places where slavery is taking place in the modern world. Along with the sweatshops and other things. But shouldn't we care about these things? Shouldn't we talk about these things more and how they are all interconnected and how they all go hand in hand? I told you that all things are connected to everything else. And what we wear has an effect on loving our global neighbor and even to some extent our local neighbor. And what we eat has an effect on loving our neighbor. And what we watch has an effect on loving our neighbor. Um, The Japanese, to move this out of awkward territory, the Japanese have this wonderful tradition called And I'm probably saying this wrong. Wabi Sabi. I'm sure that's not the correct pronunciation, but it's what it looks like to me when I read it. Wabi Sabi. You know that one wallet that you have that you've had for a long, long time because it was made of really good leather and it's worn and it had like like part of it's fading. But man, you couldn't get rid of it if you wanted to. Like your kids got you a brand new wallet for Christmas and you're like, that's great and you tried to use it but you couldn't, but you kept onto that wallet because it was just so well made and it just has so much history and you've had it for years and you know what I'm talking about? That's wabi-sabi. It's a beautiful wornness to it. It's been used well because it was made well because it has this history and this quality to it. I'm looking for more of that in this world. The wabi-sabi a, holy, uh, a whole materiality, something that, that loves the materials it's made of rather than mindlessly consuming a new wallet every few months, which Walmart would love for you to do, but I would rather you not. But finding good quality things and being content with those and using them well. It's not that I think we need to go to like one extreme or the other, like a, like a prosperity gospel or a poverty gospel. Those are both dangerous camps to go into either extreme. I'd rather talk about the gospel of contentment like Paul talks about. I've learned the secret of being content in any and all circumstances, whether I have it or don't have it, whether I'm hungry or well-fed or whatever. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4. That's where the I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me comes in, by the way. It's in that section about contentment, not about winning a basketball game. But I digress. A wholesome materiality. Um, Other than making us all feel a little bit too much in our heads, what does this really mean? And I've been ending my sermons by talking about practices that we can inhabit that go with this. So let me give you some concrete ideas of how I think this looks on the ground. Okay. Um, the first one I would say is this. Well, actually before I give you the examples, let me say I am still growing in this area tremendously. I do not say this to shame anybody. I do not say this to be like, well, you better get your stuff right. Cause Hannah and I got it figured out. No, we do not, but I'm trying And maybe we can try together. Um, That being said, the first one, uh, steward your finances well. There's something about using well what you already have and doing good with it. So uh, you guys know I've been teaching financial peace with uh, Coach Max Bricka. We're doing it again soon. If you haven't taken it, I'd recommend it. It's fantastic. And it's really – Hannah and I have both talked about this and shared this before. It's changed our lives. It really has. Um, We've been here about a year. And let me tell you, the state we're in – now versus then is worlds apart, worlds apart. And it's not perfect. Like it's not perfect. We're still paying off the debt. There's a lot of debt there that we're still working through, but, but I don't feel this anxiety about it. And I feel like I'm being more faithful with the Lord's work. You know what I'm saying? And there's something about that piece. You know, they call it financial peace university. There's the peace is the right word. Because let me tell you, whenever you get those things where you feel comfortable and like you, like you, um, like you're not worried about it all the time anymore, it's amazing the areas of your life elsewhere that it affects and that it touches. Because finances is something that touches every area of your life, and so if you can like get that kind of under the Lord's, uh, under His lordship, it affects so much else. There's a great article I read uh, from one of the, I don't know financial thingies about background anxiety in relation to finances and how we're operating out of this background anxiety all the time even in things that we think have nothing to do with finances it's just running constantly in the back of our minds and it it breaks us down right Um, so I I say that to say um, try it and FPU is not for everybody necessarily like I think it is but you know some people aren't going to so that's fine Um, there's great resources out there. Consider seeing a financial coach. Like those are great and they can help work with you on that. Um, Max Bricka here is a financial coach. Um, and he does it from a faithful Christian perspective. So all that means is him sitting down and saying, okay, you don't need a brand new, uh, Ferrari if you can't pay rent. You know, it's, it's just that kind of stuff, you know, basics. Uh, I need to hear stuff like that sometimes. Uh, the other one is, uh, be careful about distractions, um, advertisers are masters of getting inside your mind. They have mastered the art. Why is it that you still remember that jingle from when you were a kid on television? Probably for something stupid like toothpaste or candy. Or, you know what I'm saying? You still remember those jingles, don't you? They get inside your mind. They have paid billions, with a B, billions of dollars to learn this art. Try to cut out as many of the distractions as you can because you don't want to live life distracted. You want to live life focused and focused on a very important and particular thing, the Lord. And if we're f- distracted by all these other silly things, we can't focus on the Lord as much. Um, turn your f- smartphone into a dumb phone. It's a great way to make distractions, uh, to, to limit your distractions. You can turn your smartphones into dumb phones now. Did you know this? It's super easy. Google, how to turn my smartphone into a dumb phone and then do it. It's great. And it's interesting. It's not that I'm like anti-technology. That's the problem. You don't go 100% pro-technology or 100% anti-technology. You use technology in a critical and thoughtful manner. right? I don't want to be used by my iPhone. I want to use my iPhone. I want to be a smart person with a smartphone, not a dumb person with a smartphone Mm -hmm. where the phone's running me. Because really, they've built them so that we're so addicted to them that they just pull us in. And I'm like, no, that ain't happening. It's my time and I'm going to use it the way I want to. And you don't get to tell me. But they, they have engineered it in such a way so that we are constantly being pulled into it. Take your life back. Make it a dumb phone. Make it dumb. It's really easy. Uh, there's all sorts of things. I would love to talk to you about it and show you some ideas, tips, and tricks that I've come up with that I think are helpful. But um, it's, it's just the point of cutting out the distractions. And then once you're not distracted, live your life. Instead of taking pictures of those moments, you know, those family moments, throw the phone away and live the moment. That'll last so much longer anyway, rather than um, trying to talk to somebody that you really don't really want to talk to anyway on Facebook, who's like some high school person that you graduated with like forever ago. Okay, look, you really don't want to talk to them. Talk to the people around you. When you're sitting in the doctor's office waiting, talk to people. I found that most people, um, they act like they don't want to talk. But a lot of people are desperate for connection and community. They really want to talk. And you'd be surprised the things people will share waiting in line for food or waiting in a doctor's office. Oh, you'd be surprised. They're willing to share all sorts of things about their life. Why? Because you were willing to listen. We live in a culture where people don't listen anymore. They tell. Go outside. Play kickball. Go for a walk. Go to a park. You get the point. Um, Take good care of your body. There's something so important about taking care of our bodies. And I don't think that Christians have often talked about this enough, but um, taking care of your body is important. Alex Bain and I were talking about this the other day. Like we have often made this separation between like your spiritual life and your physical life. And I'm like, I just don't see the separation. Uh, One preacher that I know said your body speaks prophetically about your spiritual health. And this is not like diet fads and cliches. It's not that stuff, right? Like if, if, Some of those diet fads or things help you, great, do them, but it's not about those things in and of themselves. It's truly about what is helping you be a whole and healthy person. Uh, And there's times for feasting and fasting. You need some of both. If you never eat ice cream, I think that's also a sin. You know what I'm saying? But if you only ever eat ice cream, that's the one I tend towards, then that's also a problem. You, You with me? You need some of both because God made good things in this world. He made smart people who created beautiful, wonderful things like ice cream and pizza. And we should enjoy those and use those, but also go for a walk. Get into your body because they go hand in hand. Um, whatever it takes. There's a, a brilliant little distinction by this guy, Bernard of Clairvaux, who I have no idea who he is other than the fact that I read his name in this book. But uh, he says there's four degrees of love. And the first one is loving yourself for self's sake. So it's just like the selfish love. I want to do what's good for me. The second one is whenever you start to grow in love and that is loving God for self's sake. That is like I'm scared of hell, so I'll love God so I don't go to hell. That kind of thing. Or like God is somehow advantageous to me, so I'll, I'll take that. The third one is loving God for God's sake. You fall in love with God for who he is. But that's actually not the last one. You know what the last one is, he says? Loving self for God's sake. When I first heard that, I thought, oh, that's just, you know, hippie, uh, new agey uh, dribble. (laughs) But then I started like really chewing on it, loving self for God's sake. What would it look like if I I treated myself the way that I would imagine God would want me to treat other people? What if I approached it kind of like that? Loving myself because God loves me. And leaning into that reality, loving all of me the way God would love me. Loving self for God's sake. That's profound. I think there's something really true to that. Because I'll be honest, if it just comes down to me and my personal sake, (laughs) I'm not going for a run this morning. But maybe if the motivation was something that I think is deeply connected to the creator of the universe, that might be a little bit more compelling. Maybe. Just a thought. And finally, declutter and simplify. Oh, man. Anybody else like that TV show Hoarders? Oh, man, it's terrifying, isn't it? And what, the terrible thing is Hannah and I will be sitting there watching Hoarders, and we're like, man, these people got a problem. Hey, look what I just bought on Amazon. <laughs> you see it, right? It's like they're just, you know, a little less tidy with their hoarding than we are. We are still hoarders in a smaller scale, right? Like, I, I, I agree, like, my house is not a health hazard. Okay, right. But there is something about simplifying and decluttering your space that helps get you centered and focused. And if we're deeply connected, not only to the people that we're around, but also the spaces that we inhabit, you know, you know, the old cliche about like workplace stuff about uh, a clear desk brings you a clear mind. There's some truth to that, right? If 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 that's not how your mind thinks and you need the tangled creativeness of an artist's office, you do your thing. Just keep it in your office away from us OCD people. But um, there is something about, you know, creating some, uh, some wholeness to your space as well, right? It's interesting. We can, we can de-spiritualize it as much as we want and be like, well, you should do it just, you know, so it's not cluttered. But isn't it interesting? I don't know about you. And you can tell me if I'm crazy. It won't hurt my feelings. But for me, when my space is cluttered, my mind is cluttered. And when my space is filled with a bunch of things that don't help me center on God, I'm not centered on God, if that makes sense. And it's small things. Oh, it's such small things that I'm like, oh, it's not a big deal. Some of those things are a big deal. Those little things we keep close by that are cluttering our space. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of junk that we have that's not being used. Get rid of it, sell it, take it to goodwill. Give it to someone who could use it. I don't know. Um, Be free of the need for stuff, stuff, stuff. Practice a wholesome materiality. Okay, I get this sermon's kind of all over the place. And I had a quote that was going to be on the board, but for some reason I failed with my PowerPoint slides. So here's a quote by Wendell Berry. And he says this, The devil's work is abstraction. Not the love of material things, but the love of their quantities. The true lover of material things does not think in this way, but is answerable instead to the paradox of the parable of the lost sheep, that each is more precious than all. We are answerable to the paradox of the parable of the lost sheep, that each is more precious than all. Um, It's not the love of material things. It's the love of the quantities of material things. That's the work of abstraction versus... The things that are very much right in front of our eyes and everyday realities. Um, I fear that this sermon is a little heady out there. But also, I, I think it's extremely concrete. How do you preach a chapter like Leviticus 19? All these strings of examples. Because most of you probably aren't going to like, make a major life change off of, you shall not wear a garment made of two kinds of material. But can you understand the theological grounding behind that? The reason they were asked not to do that is because he is the Lord. Because when we're people of the Lord, we live differently than the rest of the world. And that affects even the things we wear, even the things we eat, and even the things that we buy. A wholesome materiality. Okay. I anticipate some questions and thoughts on this one. Um, And I have just a few moments for some questions, answers, or, or comments as I've been doing. I'll open it up yeah Oren you
2: know the idea that everything's connected there's a commercial I've seen about anti-Semitism hmm. and the person that does it uh, uses the term or says that uh, prejudice doesn't live in a vacuum hmm. that if we're prejudiced about one group of people or whatever we going to be praying just about a lot of other things, too. Yeah. It,
1: it, and that goes
0: along with the fact that all these areas of our life and everything are connected. Yeah. I think, in that regard, I think we need to think of sin more like a virus. Like a cancerous virus thing that eats on parts of our soul. So, like, for those who um, struggle with racism or those who struggle with, uh, you, you know, uh, like sexual infidelity or something... Yes, there is the fact of the, the, the sin, right? Like, yes, you did this and you should not have done that. Yes, that, that, is, that is part of it. But also that is now affected part of the way you think about life. Like, like for those who like serially cheat on someone, like in marriage, it has now become a part of the way they view people. And, and I think that can be redeemed. Right, Like clearly I think there have been cases where that's redeemed and it is redeemable, but, but like that, that is partly infectious, right? And I think that's part of the brilliance of Leviticus in this talking about like clean and unclean is like you can't completely separate those things. They, they go hand in hand. And, and so like racism, yeah, it affects everything. It affects uh, the, the way you buy things at the store, which you wouldn't think it does, but like in some small way, it, it totally does. Yeah, it's all connected. Absolutely. Yeah, Becca. Two things. Ooh. Yes. The one that is unfaithful has a change, but the one who is cheese on as well has a change. Yes. Yes. And, um, and two, why can I remember a juicy fruit commercial from 30 years ago? <laughs> and I can't remember the password I just put in my Yeah, <laughs> I know. I thought you were going to say, why can I remember the juicy fruit commercial from 30 years ago, but I can't remember some verse that I'm trying to memorize or something. <laughs> Which is, yeah. Yes, uh, it's because it's the jingle, right? You know, part of the brilliance of the early church was that whenever they sang in church, most people were illiterate. So they couldn't read scripture because they were in scrolls and copies of copies. And so, you know, you had to protect this letter of Paul that we got a hold of. But you didn't have like a personal copy of the Bible and you certainly didn't have all of them. So what did you do in order to, to like hold on to the core of the faith? They gave you hymns. They sang it. That was the purpose of hymns originally was like to teach us the faith where whereas I don't know that I can be walking down the street and just say, you know, the Sermon on the Mount and just, you know, say that. But whereas I can be walking down the street and I can sing, um, hero Israel, the Lord our God. Anybody else going to be singing that this afternoon? Yeah. But isn't that great? That's what it's supposed to do. Like it's getting into your mind, which is why I think the church has – Like, I love the the modern worship songs, too. Like, this passionate, like, repeat the chorus 30 times. I I actually like that, right? Like, that's geared towards my generation. I dig it. I love it. But also, I long for something deeper and more theological that's catchy, that gets into my brain, so that without me even really thinking about it, I'm already meditating on God. Because that's, like, what the brilliance of those things were really supposed to do in the first place. I long for more of that. We need better hymn writers in the church today. Yeah. Not to diminish Chris Tomlin. I like Chris Tomlin. Just... Yeah, Lynn, please.
1: I was reading this, Leviticus 19, this morning before we came. Oh, good. (laughs) I want to strangle that chapter (laughs) because it's, it's almost like the epitome of the legalism that we have allowed within the church and that so many and not you know clearly not this the, the old people of this congregation but, you know i think about my mother and other congregations and um they cling to that yeah and, and yet, you know, 10 sentences later they'll tell you that the old testament has been done away with <laughs> yeah and we struggle with that yeah and you know and uh, you know in other parts of Leviticus, and maybe other chapters, uh, maybe not specifically, you know, it talks about not eating stuff with blood. Yeah. I think part of that is a health thing, especially when you consider the, sure. What was going on back then, and how they couldn't cook or didn't cook, or I'm still going to get
0: my steak medium rare, by the way. <laughs> no. right.
1: But it, there were reasons God gave them these things. He talks about how you were supposed to go so far away from the tent mm-hmm.
0: to, to go to the bathroom. To go to the bathroom. Yeah. some so, Numbers. You know, it just—it's like, how do we balance yeah.
1: Leviticus 19 sure. with the love that God yeah, is yeah, yeah. about? And it's just such a struggle that we I
0: would say it's not Leviticus's fault it's the people who've read Leviticus's fault (laughs) so I I would say it's not Leviticus it's the interpretation of Leviticus right? right so it's not like it's not the thing it's like what you do with it so like isn't it interesting that we have the same passages and the same bible and yet one person can use this bible to love and be more like God and one person can use this to be really angry and hurtful and ugly and terrible and judge others and, and that legalism that you're talking about. You know, it's funny. I, I don't I – I know exactly what you're talking about whenever you say legalism. But I've been thinking about this lately. I wonder if it's not legalism so much as it's uh, my interpretationism, which is like I've got the interpretation down and this is it and there's no room for discussion. And it's like I'm not saying like – whenever I say that, some people get nervous like, oh, so anything can mean anything. No, nobody said that. That's not what we're talking about here. Like – Uh, Like there are certain things that it's like, it seems extremely straightforward. Love your neighbor as yourself. Got it. Good. Cool. What does that look like on the ground? We can talk about, but like that, that's the command, right? But then boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. And we're all like, oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Good. What do we do with that? And and so it's, it's the interpretation of the matter too. Right. And I I think we often forget that there is this, this feature in which um, God has given us a rational mind by which to read what he's given us. And that can be used in good ways or bad ways so yeah I, just, yeah yeah the
1: love your neighbor as yourself has always been a stumbling block
0: for me mm. because people are stupid
1: no oh. because i grew up with too many people who
0: didn't love themselves yeah and that's I good want to be loved that way. Oh. Mm-hmm. that's good that's profound yeah so it comes back to that thing i was saying about the you love yourself for god's sake yeah. like you you love yourself the way god would love you yeah that's good All
2: right. Like what you Last one. About the Go two for it. That yeah. Is that because, um and to get out, get out of Leviticus is that God loves us. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, is, that this isn't for us. This isn't so much about what kind of clothes I wear, but I'm going to be different than the people that are not in Christ. Yeah. And I think that's that. That kind of really resonated with me because yeah. I've always, you know, Leviticus. Why bother? But, yeah, I mean, those points are great. Those points are great. Yeah. And, and one last thing about legalism. I think what you're going to find is most people that are, that are legalistic are only legalistic in things that they're capable of doing. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: that's a good point. So if, yeah.
2: it is, if it's not something that they're capable of doing, they're not legalistic yeah.
0: about it. So yeah.
2: in, in the church, too, things that they're, they're, they're well-timing. I,
0: I, yeah. So, like, lust isn't a thing for me, so it's like... But then when it comes to gluttony, well, God's grace, God's grace. You know, it's fine, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's brilliant. Uh, I would hope that that uh, this has, at the very least, sparked some thoughts in your imagination. Um, because if there's one thing I think God's people need in this world, it's a holy and sanctified imagination to think creatively about how do we live with this text and do something with it now. So uh, I don't think it's a sin to wear a shirt made of cotton and polyester. Those are my favorite kinds of t-shirts. But do we as followers of Christ purchase and use things differently i would hope so what completely does that look like well there's freedom in the spirit to kind of discern some of this especially because our culture is vastly different from ancient judea but um what does it look like to do that together that's a question we wrestle with together and the fact that the conversation has been opened means you've already begun thinking about it and that's a good thing that's a holy thing to start wrestling with this and thinking about it to completely dismiss it that's problematic to wrestle with it this is good This is good to think about this. And there will be times when you say, I'm going to purchase this because I need this, but I don't know how I feel about it. That's okay. Live in the tension and wrestle with it, and maybe in the future you won't, maybe in the future you will, but wrestle with it and think about it and ask yourself that question. How do I purchase and use things as a follower of Christ in a wholesome way that respects that all things are connected? Oh, Hillary has the final word. It
2: occurs to me that that, that the introduction to this section, God said, uh, basically he said, I want you to live To be holy. And then he gives this list of things. Here's some of the things that it will look like. Yeah. It occurs to me that's not the whole list. Yes. Yeah. It occurs to me that that is a list of examples from which we can guide the rest of our lives. Yes. Rather than making those the rule by which we live. The example gives us something that we can learn from everything that we Yeah understanding
0: that it's all coming. Yeah, that's well said. Yeah, it's uh he is smart. He's he's a smart one. Yeah, it's it's a list of for instances. Yeah. And what it looked like in Israel. And their for instances probably aren't the same as ours on everything, although the principle is still there. And so, yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, it's you shall be holy. So whenever you do this, do this, and whenever you do this, do this, do this. It's just it's like an image of a daily life in Israel kind of comes before your eyes in these little things that they do that would relate to it
2: rather than putting a box around it yeah and saying this is the this is the law yeah this is these are examples of and uh, to write everything that could go in that list yes
0: and a huge would take a huge and the rabbis tried right if you read the talmud it's like you shall not work on the sabbath exactly how many steps becomes work right and so they they have all these debates and and it's that right there but we we have uh, freedom to live into the spirit of the law than the uh, be blessed. Amen.